0: This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. And today, we're rounding with Dr. Jeff Musen, an assistant professor of laboratory medicine and pathology and a clinical chemist in the Division of Clinical Core Laboratory Services for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Musen.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here with the Bowtie Bandit.
0: That's right. <laughs> so one of the things I, you know, in that introduction, which is totally on point and appropriate with where, um, where you're working for some of our listeners that may not have a good sense on, on what that means and what you do and, and how you participate. So you give us a little bit of that lay of the land and, and kind of explain for our listeners, how does the cardiovascular laboratory provide patient care?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I'm a clinical chemist, which is atypical in the medical field, or at least less common. So my training is in chemistry. And then I do an extra certification in all the medicinal parts of that that are necessary. So not a traditional physician, but rather a PhD path. And CV lab medicine or cardiovascular lab medicine is more of a program at Mayo Clinic. We do focus on diagnostic lipids and lipoprotein testing that is for patient care, but it was actually started by Dr. Alan Jaffe, who is a practicing cardiologist at Mayo, and his vision was always more than just a a four-walled place where we do CV lab medicine. He wanted it to be a place that we bring in specialists, Medical lab scientists that have uh, deep expertise in their technical operation of their methods, but also in cardiovascular, or at least an interest in cardiovascular sciences. And it's a place for chemists like myself. We even have alternative lab medicine professionals that focus on point of care testing or stat testing, you know, out in the ER in the hospital, genetics experts and pathologists. And it's a place where we all routinely interact. We have a regular meeting schedules and we can all talk about what's working, what's not, and what's coming down the pipeline, so to speak, in cardiovascular lab medicine.
0: That's really interesting. I'm glad you're highlighting the fact that, you know, you're coming from this position of being a clinical chemist because, you know, this whole idea of bridging the laboratory medicine and the clinical practice to help people understand that we have a lot of different professionals coming from different backgrounds that are participating in patient care. And so right there, as you were saying it, you corrected me that it it's really a program that you guys have set up rather than a laboratory per se. I was wondering if you could kind of maybe elaborate for us, maybe a specific example of what does that look like when you've got clinical chemists, cardiologists, other professionals in the laboratory? That might be an interesting concept for all of our listeners to kind of uh, understand.
1: One of the first ones comes to mind is precision medicine and genetics. So as I said, I'm a chemist. I'm not an expert in genetics, but in the last few years, there's been this rise of at-home genetic testing, and even an increase in clinical-scale full genome sequencing. And so, there increasingly has become patients that have already been exposed or already have results in hand when they come to their doctor and say, "Look, this says I might have a risk for a heart attack down the road. Or it says my risk is in such a percent category— you know, high, medium, low—and." We were not necessarily focusing on that in my cardiovascular lab, but in the CV program, we had genetics experts like Linnea Baldwin here at Mayo that were already thinking about these things and were well aware of what the appropriate genetic tests would be that have clinical, you know, strong clinical data to support them, as opposed to those that really are more just for the at-home testing kind of education market. And so that was, I think, one of the first uh, examples I could think of 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 a really good use of this ability to interact between a genetics expert and the cardiovascular lab program.
0: Let me kind of ask you and kind of dig into that example a little bit you talked about. One of the challenges that sometimes comes up with these groups of people from diverse areas, the goal isn't to have different layers. You're not trying to make a a sandwich (laughs) and like, Mm -hmm. you know, you got your genetics in there, you got your clinical chemistry expert to really blend something together, you know, with everybody's component. I think previously used the example of a smoothie output. I was kind of curious Can you talk a little bit about uh, how bringing these people into the laboratory and developing a test that, as you're describing, provides a lot of value to patients, um, how is that blended and really that's the output?
1: So again, it comes back to, I think it was an intentional design by uh, Dr. Jaffe that while we did have this lab and that would be focused, we would make sure that we had regular meetings that brought all these experts into the room and gave them a chance to interact. We had one just this morning where they can say what's going on and give their input and feedback. And beyond just the genetics and the pathologist and the lab medicine expertise, we actually have practicing cardiologists as part of our group as well. So Dr. Jaffe himself, an interventional cardiologist. And we just recently brought on uh, Dr. Vlad Stila, who is a practicing cardiologist here at Mayo, and he's in preventive medicine. So he keeps track of more, you know, what are the biomarkers we should be looking at, at people who are at risk, et cetera. So I think it's just having that regular meetings and keeping people involved, even at an operational level, that's really led to some, some success in us being able to keep at the cutting edge of uh, cardiovascular lab medicine.
0: Okay, let me hit pause here, Jeff. So yeah. you're you're talking about about meetings that you guys do. I think all of the listeners we know meetings and it, there's a yeah. certain connotation <laughs> that yeah. comes okay. out of this. <laughs> so maybe if I could push back or ask you, how is this meeting not just some hierarchy of <laughs> we all know who the the top rooster is or whatever? Like, how do these meetings actually? work as this sort of interprofessional, really utopia is, is what it sounds like.
1: And maybe I, I've given the wrong impression by focusing down on a meeting. Really, it started out as co-directorships. There is no director specifically. So from the very beginning, we had, even though the primary appointment might be in genetics or cardiology, they are part of the operational working group. When we are signing out cases of lipoprotein metabolism, they are on the rotation, so that's why they're actually there in the lab on their day, and they're aware of all the, the ins and outs of what we're doing operationally, and so, therefore, they're also giving input routinely and regularly as where we ought to be going as a group. Does that
0: that's help? That's brilliant. Yeah, Jeff, and I'm I'm glad we kind of highlighted that, so for the listeners, right, I mean, to have meetings with a bunch of people in the room is nothing new. Yes, there's nice things about that, but as you really focus on, it sort of sounds like the secret sauce is that structurally it's been organized so that there isn't a hierarchy. You, you mentioned that you've got co-directors and so mm-hmm. people are on equal footing that are coming from very different backgrounds so that it really kind of forces collaboration to happen is, is really what I'm, I'm hearing. Did I Did I hear that right?
1: That's exactly how it's been built. Yes. With that intent.
0: Yeah. And then the other aspect that I heard you say that just a highlight is the fact that it sounds like this is regularly occurring on nearly a daily basis these sorts of interactions. So it isn't like a, you know, monthly, we're having an organizational meeting. That's not the secret sauce. It sounds what you're describing is it's a regular ongoing equal footing relationship. And then that has organically evolved over time.
1: That's absolutely correct. Down to the point where now there's doctors that maybe used to be part of our sign-out rotation and now they're back to more of a full time appointment in the clinic, seeing patients. And they're emailing us and paging us about patients throughout their day regularly to really improve that interaction between the clinic and the lab and what we're and the, the service we can provide to the patient.
0: Oh, Jeff, you're making my heart go pitter patter now. This is the tagline of this podcast is bridging that gap between laboratory medicine and the clinical practice. And you just describing there is these clinicians that have participated in the lab that have been phased into more of a clinical practice, uh, heavy um, outside the lab job, they're continuing to actually talk to you on, on a frequent basis. For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. That brings up a question that I have. You've got people that are sort of, I don't know if the right word's anointed. (laughs) that understand, right, that are on the clinical side. How does that work for maybe those that, that don't have that experience? How do you keep your other clinical colleagues aware of uh, what's happening in the lab and updates for what can impact their practice?
1: As you say, it's not necessarily in structured meeting, but it, it's being in the room. It's being together on the floor. And so because we have a couple of cardiologists that are on the floor here with us in the laboratory every week they're also on the floor over in the clinic every week and so i'd say they're our primary source of driving those interactions they're able to know what's happened in the lab and then they bring us over to the clinic there's an operational focused uh, initiative happening and they say you know what we need to have the lab aware of this we need to have them involved for instance the practice And the labs were both aware of troponin upgrade coming down the pike. So troponin is the test we use to identify a person that shows up in the emergency department with chest pain. We want to know, is this person having a heart attack? And troponin has become the gold standard. All the vendors were about to switch. So lab medicine was already aware that there was going to be a new kind of troponin test and because we had this interface and we were able to make sure that the, the practice was aware that this is coming and it's going to change how you see the numbers and what you're able to do, because the new troponin that all the vendors are going to switch to, we didn't necessarily have a choice, was going to be so much more sensitive that we were worried that they might be over-treating patients. So we were worried. We wanted to make sure that the docs were understanding what the new values would mean and treating their patients appropriately. And because we had this interface of clinicians and lab, we were able to not only have a system built in in place and ready to go, we were probably one of the first institutions to adopt and and start running with high-sensitive troponin when it became available, and this was just a couple of years ago. So this interface and constant interaction between the, the clinicians and the laboratory Is really setting us up for success in a lot of ways.
0: Wow. I I love that example. And it really kind of shows then what this investment in this kind of a leadership structure, clinical practice structure can mean. It sounds like it's really giving you people that are advocates in the clinical practice that have either been a part of the laboratory or have come to, from their colleagues, learned the value of it. So you're upfront being participants in change that is, that's happening. Are other laboratories adopting this model that you're aware of? Or is this something where this great experiment in the cardiovascular laboratory here at Mayo has is, is been rather unique?
1: At least in the division of Core chemistry where, where we work. So the bit of the sea change recently in that we're now not a four-walled entity. We've actually divided simply into core chemistry and special chemistry. And to that end, we've had to build up more programs. So cardiovascular lab medicine program already existed. Now there's a pediatric med- uh, lab medicine program that is able to bring in pediatricians within their subspecialties and the experts in the various lab medicine subspecialties to really try and drill down and focus on that. There is a uh, kidney disease lab medicine program that was also born out of this, that has been trying to, again, have this interface of clinicians that are closely working in the lab, like Dr. John Liskey and Tim Larson, who are both practicing nephrologists right here at Mayo. that are also actively involved in the lab medicine community so that they're able to bridge these conversations and interactions.
0: One more follow-up question on that. I was, I'm curious because as you're describing that, right? Um... You're in a laboratory that has some history doing this. And as you say, more recently, we've been expanding and there's been some new groups and new people pulled in. So I imagine that's from both sides, new laboratory medicine people that are now in this new kind of co-director structure. And then also there are clinicians, like you mentioned, pediatricians that are now in this structure. What have you learned about establishing that culture? or getting them to understand what
1: the plan is? It's about finding the right people. And once you put out there this concept, the people that are interested tend to find you. So Dr. David Sass is a nephrologist, pediatrician nephrologist, that ended up finding the renal laboratory group and has become more and more involved. And just being part of the operation again. So, you know, sitting in uh, and having an assigned rotational duty to be part of the lab then gives them the connections and the interactions so they can start leading projects that say really what we need to do for the sake of pediatric patients is this type of testing or, or reporting it in this context. And that's really made, I think, a lot of impact within chemistry as a group and within the clinic for patient care as a whole.
0: As you're saying that, uh, I had this image. I've recently watched that movie Miracle about the uh, hockey team from back in the early eighties. And I'm reminded of one of the quotes from that movie was that the coach, he wasn't looking for the best players. He was looking for the right players. Yeah. And that kind of flashed up as you were saying, you know, you put out the call in a certain way and it sort of attracts a certain kind of individual. And it's sort of, that's what it sort of sounds like is it's really important who's coming to the table. Absolutely. I want to close with kind of thinking then about our medical laboratory scientists and, and hopefully there are some people that are uh, going to college and thinking about a major and stuff and, and, you know, always like to encourage medical laboratory scientists. And of course, I always try to recruit them to, to transfusion medicine, but I, I'm curious, what, what's your pitch to get them to go over to clinical chemistry?
1: Clinical chemistry is the place to build your career if you're interested in variety. So we have all the fun toys, all the variety and, and the full spectrum of things you want to do. We've got uh, high throughput machines where you're feeding it a thousand samples an hour and keeping you know up with all the workflows that entails. We have some workstations, and this is all happening right now in our, in our chemistry lab, we call it alchemy you're literally mixing a and b and watching for a color change and you want to see what's happening there we've got mass spectrometry where you're distinguishing between different molecules based on their molecular weight we've got electrophoresis where you're separating out macromolecules and picking the band that has an analyte of interest we got nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy where you're able to look at 500 things at once uh, by their proton spin so if you're interested and having a variety of opportunities and technologies to learn from, chemistry is the place for you.
0: With a pitch like that, I understand why sometimes uh, not everybody goes into transfusion medicine. <laughs> and also with a pitch like that, I think hopefully for our listeners too, I mean the, the breadth of what Dr. Musen was just describing there, it showcases the uh, breadth and, and also hopefully the depth of background and expertise that clinical chemists like Dr. Muson brings to a laboratory and then ultimately translates into value for patient care. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Muson.
1: I really had a good time. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So we've been rounding with Dr. Musson, and uh, thank you for joining to us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Round's podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect laboratory medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.